All right, so we're starting a new series today, and uh, it's called Fuel Up, and uh, we're going to be talking about this through Lent season, and uh, let me just be upfront with you. I know very close to zero about cars. I just know how to drive them, and some people even question that, right? So, <clears throat> and so we're using this idea of fueling up as an analogy, uh, as a metaphor, simile, you know, uh, as a way of talking about how we get filled up. And so because I didn't know anything about cars, I don't know anything about fueling up. I mean, I know how to fuel a car, but, you know, what kind of, like, why we have to use the cheapest brand of gas, you know, or what the difference between that and the most expensive one is. I don't know much about gas, okay, and fuel. So um, I had to look it up. I asked some people in this church, like, hey, what is, what happens when you put you know, the wrong fuel in your tank, and people gave me some explanation that I had no idea. I'm like, I don't understand what you just said. Something about octane, and I don't even know what that is. So, um, so I did the next best thing, which is I went on Google and looked it up, and I still didn't understand, so I did the next best thing and went on YouTube, and this is a video clip that I found, so let's take a look. Good evening. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Nadine Woodward. We also now know the likely cause of that fatal crash. It appears the Piper Malibu that came down near the Hamilton Street overpass had been filled with the wrong type of fuel. And that's where KXY 4's Jeff Humphrey joins us now live with a look at just how a critical mistake at the gas pump may have doomed that aircraft even before it left the ground. Jeff? Nadine, if you have served in the military or you're just lucky enough to do a lot of flying, then you know the distinct smell of jet fuel. And that's what it smells like here at the crash site, where up to 120 gallons of what investigators believe to be jet fuel spill on the ground. The problem for the pilot of the plane that crashed here, his plane did not burn jet fuel. Instead, a lot of pilots and mechanics here in Spokane have told us that the Piper Malibu that crashed runs on a high-octane version of what we put in our cars. It's called aviation gas, and at Feltzfield, you can either buy AV gas or jet fuel. In fact, the pumps there are side by side. So now investigators are trying to figure out if someone inadvertently put jet fuel into this ill-fated plane's tanks. I know, that's sad, right? <laughs> just because they put the wrong fuel and it, it, it crashed. And um, a lot of times I think uh, we fill ourselves with a lot of good advice. We fill ourselves up with good relationships, sometimes bad relationships, and not knowing if, if it really is the right type of fuel for our lives. And in some cases, our life gets really bumpy. In other cases, it crashes. And in, sometimes it ends in catastrophe. And uh, so, this series is talking about what kind of fuel do we need in our lives so that we're the most efficient, so that we are living the life that God has called us to live. So here's the, the, the main point. So if you miss next week and the weeks following after that, I encourage you not to. Okay, but this is the point that I want you to know, that the fuel we need to become the people God intended us to be lies in our relationship with others. The fuel that we need in order to be the people God want us to be, wants us to be, it's founded in the interactions. It's founded in the way that people talk to us and how we receive the words that, that people say to us. This is a, a very important concept. And, you know, uh, and, and, but, but here's, the, here's the pushback that I usually hear. And, and the reason I know this is a pushback that I hear often is not just because I heard it before, but it's something I used to say. Because as a Christian, I believe that, like, like, yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying. Maybe that's what psychologists are saying. But when I read the Bible, I see examples of these heroes of faith. Like, <clears throat> these people who are living their lives, by the, like, the closer they are to God, I feel like they're by themselves, right? Like, I think about people like Moses, right? And, like, it wasn't like Moses, you know, was a part of, like, 
a big boy band or anything, right? He was by himself doing his thing. And at first he had Aaron, you know, but as the story progresses, it looks like he's like doing his thing by himself because he's close to God. So I don't need anybody else in my life. Or I think about David, like David, King David, like, isn't he like the Lone Ranger? Like we start thinking about that. And so the question that, that I often hear and the question I actually used to ask myself is this, it's, are, but aren't our heroes of faith mostly independent? Do we really need other people? Maybe, right, for me to say I need somebody in my life is evidence of me being weak in my relationship with God. Like, if I have God in my life, I don't really need anybody else, right? I mean, is, and, like, aren't we supposed to be self-sufficient? Aren't we supposed to be the kind of people who says, you know, um, now that I'm with Jesus, <clears throat> now I'm closer to God, now that I'm meditating every day, now that I'm praying every day, now that I'm fasting, now that I'm going through all these things in my life, <clears throat> there's less and less things I need in this world. So, you know, you know, before I used to be needy. I need, before I needed to have relationships, but now I'm with God. I'm with Jesus. I don't need anybody else, right? I mean, isn't that what the Bible teaches? And the answer to that is no. But, but what about the examples like Moses and, you know, Elijah? Well, Elijah, let's, let's talk about Elijah. Elijah. Elijah is a character we find in the middle of the Old Testament. Elijah is a prophet of God. That means he's, he speaks on behalf of whatever God reveals to him. And he is considered to be one of the heroes of the, of, of the faith. If you're a first century Jewish person, right, and somebody asks you who are your heroes of faith, they would probably say like Moses, you know, they would say David, and Elijah would definitely be in the top three. So Elijah, he, this guy who did so many miracles, he did like seven major miracles in his life. I mean, he, there's a story where he goes to battle against these prophets of another god named Baal, or Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal, right? And they go into battle, and, and he's outnumbered, but he, he wins because he's a man of God, right? Like, is, like, isn't he, like, always by himself? Like, God, it's like, when you read the Bible, doesn't it support the, doesn't this evidence support the fact that you don't really need anybody else? All you need is God? Well, here's the story of that Elijah, okay? This is 1 Kings chapter 19. So, Elijah was afraid, and the reason he's afraid here is because there's an evil queen in Israel, and she, like, wants him dead. Okay, so that's why he's on the run right now. He was afraid and ran for his life, and when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, the desert. So he's like, everybody stay behind. I'm going to go 24 hours into the middle of the desert, and I'm just going to hang out there. Now, don't think of like Sahara Desert. That's not what the deserts of Israel looks like. Every once in a while, you'll see some shrubs and little bushes and random trees here and there, right? And that's why in the next verse it says, he came to a broom bush, random, right? Sat down under it and prayed that he might die. When was the last time we prayed that we would die? Uh, uh, it's weird. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now, I want you to pay attention to one thing here. He is having a conversation with God. It's just him and God. It's just the two of them. So he has a good enough relationship with God here where he's actually having a conversation. But he has no other companion. And his prayer request here is, I'm alone, so just take my life. And then... A few verses later, uh, or, uh, this is God's response. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? W what are you doing here alone? Why are you a whole days away from, from people? Like, why are you isolating yourself? Why are you out here by yourself? 
Elijah's response? He replied, the Israelites have rejected, that's your people, all the people of Israel, the Israelites have has rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. He believes that he's alone in this faith now. He thinks that there's nobody else out there who follows God in the way that he does. And now they are trying to kill me too. So just let me die. My prayer request to you is just, just please end my life right here. And that's because he feels alone. He's by himself. He wants to die because he thinks that he's the only one. And then God responds a few verses later. God said, I reserve 7,000 Israel. Like, you're not alone. The reason why you think you're alone is because you're out here alone. <laughs> Did you know there's 7,000 other people out there in this nation that you're currently in that actually have the same stance that you do? You are not alone, right? You have 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You see, we have examples like Elijah, who we think is this great hero of faith or we talk about moses or even jonah job we talk about david and all these characters they're all alone at one point yes but we discover is that most heroes of our faith were at their lowest when they were isolated think about moses like didn't moses lead all the israelites by himself yeah okay sure okay but did you know that was not by design so if you read through the book of exodus what you're going to discover is God wanted to be in the midst of all his people, but the people were afraid of God. And so they said, Moses, uh, we have an idea. You talk to God and we'll just hear from you. And so it was not the intended design that God had for the Israelites. The intended design was God was supposed to be with everybody. But because the fear of the people, they were all afraid of God, they pushed Moses up front and said, now you do it alone. So yeah, we have examples in the Bible that that doesn't mean that's what God intended. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard some people say, oh, it's just, you know, it's all about me and God. It's all about me and God. What we discover is that it's just me and God was not God's intended design for humanity. It just wasn't. Well, how do we know that for sure? Well, let's, let's go all the way back to the first book of the Bible and see what the Bible says about that. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this God is a creator God. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So in verse 2, we have a God that is also Spirit. And then we go to verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So this God spoke a word. So what we have in verse 1 is a creator God. In verse 2, we have a spirit of God. In verse 3, we have a word that's spoken by God. Okay, now here's the interesting thing. Thousands of years later, after this was written down, there's a person, his name is John. John. He's one of the apostles of Jesus. He wrote down the biography of Jesus, right? And as he's starting his book, he's like, you know what? I'm going to borrow some language from the book of Genesis. So when he wrote his biography of Jesus, he starts like this. He says, in the beginning, this is... John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning. And when people read that, they're like, whoa, whoa, this is a callback to Genesis chapter 1. What is he trying to say about creation? He says, in the beginning, he says, was the word. And people are like, well, what, what, what is he talking about? In the beginning, the word. Oh, he's talking about Genesis 1-3. He's talking about how this God speaks, right? Okay, what about that word? And the word was 
with God. You're like, wait a minute, there's a creator God, there's a spirit of God. You're telling me that there's a third entity, that, that the word of God is, is, was part of the, 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 okay, so you're saying that there is the word of God. Okay, so who is he? In the next verse, it says, and the word was God. John, who wrote the book of John, he's basically saying, Jesus is the third part of the Trinity. If you don't know what Trinity is, it's there's three gods in one, right? So what he's saying here is, God is a community in himself. And so if God is a community in himself, okay, then Genesis chapter 127 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He's saying God is a community in himself, and when he created humanity, he decided to breathe which is a word for spirit in the Hebrew, but he, he breathed his image into, into dirt, into soil, and up came human beings. And so when he created humanity, he wanted them to be in community, and that's why it says male and female, he created them. Because without the other, without, if human beings were by themselves, it would not be a complete image of who God is meant to be. Does, does that make sense? Okay. And so when we look at Genesis chapter 1, we see already in the design of the way that it's written, we see in there that we are all called to be in community. But then Genesis chapter 2, the very next chapter, they retell that same story, but this time from the perspective of humanity. And so, that's, this, is, so this one, they take, they take the clump of Genesis 1 and they break it apart so that you can see it in sequence. And so this is how that part goes. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Okay, so here, this is a really interesting thing, okay? So what he's saying here is God created man, Adam, first, okay? And he said, okay, there we go. We created everything. Everything's good. Here is Adam. And he says, oh, but that's not good, which is weird because Genesis chapter 3 is where sin enters the world. Badness doesn't enter until Genesis 3 when somebody does something wrong, right? But in Genesis 2, we already see something that's wrong with creation. And the one thing that's wrong with creation is that humanity which is Adam at this point, is alone. And he says, that is not good because he's not meant to be alone because he does not reflect who I am as God. God is like, he, that's not me. That's, something's missing. And he did that on, on purpose so that we understand what humanity ought to look like. So again, I want to, I want to point this out. God is community in himself. And for that reason... Our need for other people is not a flaw in God's design. When you feel like, I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody I can relate to. I want to feel connected to a group. I feel like I need to have good relationship in my life. That's not a sign of weakness. It is the intended design. It, it was intentional. It is not a flaw in God's design. It is intentional. You are meant to need other people in your life. And so if you're the kind of person that's like, hey, you know, I'm a spiritual giant and I want my friends to know that I'm this close with God, you know, like we are BFFs, right? And, and so I don't want to, when it comes time for asking people to pray for me, I don't want to say anything because if I said something like, oh, I feel alone, they're going to think I'm not a spiritual giant anymore. Mm -mm. I don't know where that came from. Maybe we've been taught to be self-sufficient, but in, as part of God's creation, we are all meant to be a part of a relationship. And if we're not, then we're not complete. But here's the thing. 
because you're like, well, I'm married, so I have my community there, you know, or like I'm part of a life group, or like I go to Bible study, or I do this, I do that, you know, I work in cubicle land, but I'm surrounded by 20 other people, so, you know, I'm not alone, like, I, so check, you know, right? But this is what we discovered, if we keep reading the book of Genesis, this is, this is what we also discover, that we can be in community and still be fuel deficient, Right? This is one of the reasons why we don't have Bible studies at Westlight is because early on what we discovered is when we ask you, how are you doing? You're like, well, Romans chapter 4, 19 says, and we're like, no, 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 no. I know you could quote scripture, but what does the, how are you doing? It's like, well, um, as the Paul the Apostle, no, I'm like, no, stop quoting Paul the Apostle. Just tell me how you're doing, <laughs> right? Or, you know, when somebody says, you know, the other day I had, I, 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 I suffered a loss in my life. And then somebody quotes a scripture at you. And you're like, no, 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 be human. Just tell me. I need a human being to interact with right now, right? It's like, even though we're in these church settings, we're still, we still feel alone. Or even though I'm surrounded by dozens of people every day, I still feel alone. So you can still be in community, and, and you can still feel like you're alone, right? What is that about? Well, let's read on to Genesis chapter 3, because in Genesis chapter 3, it's where sin enters the world, when things that were good start to turn sour. And this is how that story goes. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Okay, so this is, you probably know this story, right? There's this fruit that God says, do not eat of it, and he does it anyways, and, right? Here's the consequence of that. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Now, if, if you study any Hebrew literature, there's this thing called um, principle of first mention. What that means is if you see a word that stands out to you, like naked, okay, you have to ask yourself, well, where was that first mentioned in the Bible? And so if you go back and look for that word, it actually comes out, the first time it's mentioned comes up in Genesis chapter 2. And the way that it's used is it says that when God created humanity and they were considered good, right, he says that they were both naked and had no shame. So nakedness is not just a physical form of not wearing any clothes. It's also a figurative way of saying, like, I see you for all that you are, every flaw included, everything, and no shame. It's like, well, you see me the way I am when I wake up in the morning, I'm groggy, and I still love you. You know, like, I have no fear of being judged because this is who I am. And so there's this community of people knowing each other for who they really are. Okay? Okay, so he says, when they ate of the fruit, when sin entered the world, the first thing that happened was all of a sudden they realized that there was shame in the relationship. And then it says, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. For the first time in human history, according to the scriptures, we had something called secrets. For the first time in human history, we have something where you couldn't be authentic with each other anymore. Maybe this is where lying entered the story, where you're like, I, I, I can't let them know who I really am, so I'm just going to lie about how much I really weigh or how old I really am or what my struggles really are. Or here are my, here are my weaknesses. In the past, they were able to share those things, and they were fine. There were com this complete acceptance on each other. One person would say, hey, I think this is some area that you're starting to struggle in. They would be like, thank you so much for telling me. Thank you for pointing it out to me. But all of a sudden, there's defensiveness. Oh, don't. Don't you dare judge me like that, you know, right? That's what these fig leaves re represent. In Genesis chapter 3, and remember, Genesis chapter 3 comes way before Judaism enters the story or Christianity enters the story. What they're saying here is 
this is not a religious issue. This is not a Christian issue or a Jewish issue. This is a human issue. We all crave to be in community because we are all made in the image of God. We all crave to have complete acceptance from the people around us for who we are without hiding who we have to be, right? But now we don't have that anymore because we put up fig leaves. And if the fuel that we need in our lives comes from the people around us, and we have fig leaves that, that protect us from those people, we're not getting the fuel that we need anymore because we're afraid that people might judge us. We're afraid that people might think us in a different way. We're afraid that we might lose our loved ones because if they knew who we really were, then maybe they might leave us. And this is why we could be surrounded by people all the time and not have real connection with them. What I want you to know from this Genesis 3 story is that fig leaves can make us feel deficient. And you're like, well, Kotz, how do I know that I'm like malnourished in these areas? How do I know I'm self, like, like how do I know that if I feel deficient? Like, is there any way that I could tell that I need connection with people because I want to know if I'm, how I'm doing? Is there a way, is there a checklist, that I, is there a test I could take? Is there a way to know if I am not really connecting with people, or if I'm being, if I'm feel deficient? Is there any way for me to find out? As a matter of fact, there is. And so I'm going to go over some of those things right now. And if you're like, oh, yeah, that's like me. Oh, yeah, I do that. Oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah. So you know what? I think I am feel deficient. So uh, it's broken up into three categories. These are my words. It's usually self, relationships, or performance. Um, if you read the book that we're going through, through Lent, uh, the author, his name is John Townsend, he uses three different words. They all start with the letter P. He calls it personal, people, and performance. Uh, but I'm going to call it self, relationship, and performance because I... I use those words more often. So, so here are some ways to know if you are fuel deficient. Okay, so the f- first, let's start with the self category. If you have bad habits that you cannot overcome, we're talking about addictions. We're talking about behavioral things that are like, I don't know why I do the things I do. I know it's destructive, but I don't, I don't keep doing it, right? You may be fuel deficient. You may not have the, the proper relationships. You might have fig leaves in your life that's not allowing people to speak into your life if you have bad habits. Bad thoughts. Sometimes you have dark thoughts and you can't wish it away. You can't will it away. If that's you, then chances are you feel deficient. You feel others owe you a better life. You feel like the world revolves around you. You feel that you are the center of the universe if you're not thinking about how other people are being affected by your actions, chances are fuel deficiency. Inappropriate emotions. Now this, uh, some, uh, the example that's used in the book is that you know, you're driving and somebody cuts you off and for the first three seconds you're angry about it, that's, that's normal, okay? But a day later you're still angry about it, that's an inappropriate emotion. Why are you still hanging on to that? There might be something in your soul that says, something's not right. Or maybe you suffered a loss, and the natural emotion that usually follows that is grief and sadness, but you don't feel those emotions. You're not allowing yourself to feel those emotions. You try to keep yourself busy so you don't have to deal with those emotions. Then chances are you may be feel deficient. Next category is relationships. The first one is that you struggle to be vulnerable. You, you love sharing the good things about your life with other people, but you have a hard time sharing about your negative life, like hey, um, I'm really struggling with this. 
or I made a bad decision back there. If you have a hard time sharing with people about the negative aspects of your life, you may be feel deficient. Repeated failed relationships. If you've been in five, six, seven relationships and you realize, man, like my relationships never work, right? And you realize the reason why those things don't work, they're usually things that you could fix on your own, right? Like, oh, I, I should have just said I'm sorry. Or, you know, or um, I should have been more respectful of my, of, of my spouse or my boyfriend or girlfriend, my partner. And for some reason, you just can't get yourself to do those things or admit that you have an issue. You're, right? If that's you, then chances are you are fuel deficient. The third category is performance. This is how you act, right? What you, like, the first one is you start something, but you can't finish. And I'm not saying like once or twice, you know, we're talking about like you see that as a pattern in your life. You want to do something great, but for some reason you, you start it, but then you can't see it to the end. You might, there might be something in your life that's missing. You, uh, you realize the second one, you think that you have a lot of potential in your life, and people tell you that you have potential in your life. You have some skills that are unique to you, but for some reason, with the skills that you have, you should be able to finish certain things. You're supposed to be able to accomplish amazing things or materialize into a career or something. But for, for you, it never materializes into anything. Chances are you might have a deficiency in your life. Third one is you can't save money. You have a fine, like you have a sufficient enough income. You have money flowing into your life. And then you're like, hey, so when are you going to buy that house? It's like, I just can't seem to save money. When are you going to replace your car? I don't have any money. And you're like, why? I, I have money coming in all the time, right? But like the income is fine. But for some reason, I, I just can't save it because I keep using another thing. Like, I don't know what it is. And it's causing you anxiety. It's causing the people around you anxiety. Chances are we are deficient in the nutrients that we spe- we're supposed to be receiving from the people around us. And finally on this list, you're inspired like I gave a sermon or you heard somebody on a TED talk or someone friend gave you a pep talk and you're inspired like, yeah, I got to do something with my life. But you just can't act on those, insp- those bursts of inspiration. If that's you, then chances are there's something that's deficient in your life. But here's the thing. I mean, I just listed a whole bunch of things, right? And you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, Kotz. I checked off every single thing on the list, right? But I have a story for each one why I can't do it. Like, you start coming up with excuses, right? You're like, well, okay, the whole relationship thing, that's not my fault. Every single relationship I've been in, it's the other person that's wrong, you know? Or, or the reason I can't finish that project that I started is because every time I want to start something, um, something comes up. Or, you know, uh, you know, I would be vulnerable with the people around me, but they can't handle it, man. I, I'm just being nice to them because I don't want to burden them with the weight that I'm about to throw at them, right? And so, and this is normal because most people, they, they blame the outcome or cover it up, right? We, we say things like, um, well, yeah, I, I see I have failed relationships in my life. And so, uh, you know what? The problem is, is the other people. I'm the victim here. Oh, um, yeah, I understand that I didn't do this in my life. I wasn't supposed to do it this way, or I couldn't finish this, or I couldn't do that. Well, that's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. You blame the outcome, or you cover it up by lying. You say, well, like, how many projects have you started this year that you actually finished? Like, oh, 100, <laughs> right? Like, you, 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 you try to save face by saying, like, I don't have an issue here. But if you were to get honest, if you were to sit down with somebody that you trust and you go over every single thing that you failed in, every part of your life that you struggle in, if you do that, what you're going to discover over time is that what they all have in common is you. 
right? What you discover is that in every failed relationship you had, you were there, right? Every time you, you were supposed to say sorry, but you couldn't get yourself to say sorry, you realize, well, why is it so hard for me to just admit that I'm wrong? Why is it so hard for me to have the discipline to see things through? Why is it so hard for me to, to say, I need to humble myself so I can share with you where I'm struggling in life? Why can't I get myself to do that? And eventually you discover this, that you get in your own way. You realize, I'm the reason why I can't accomplish these things in my life. I'm the reason why I keep messing up in life. I'm the reason why I, I came to the end of myself and I still can't push through that barrier that I call me. I have these habits, and I know I should be able to overcome these habits, these bad habits, but, but there's something that, I, that won't let me break through, and you realize, oh, that's me, right? Or you're like, uh, I have these thoughts, and usually bad thoughts, I, should ju- I could just like, sleep, and then they're gone the next morning, but it's still there. I, I'm my barrier. I'm the reason I can't overcome these things. I, I, I like the world to revolve around me. I'm self-centered, but... The moment somebody asks me to focus on them, I just can't shift it over there because I'm just so in love with me. And you realize, I'm the reason. I'm the re- like this. I can't blame other people for this. I'm the reason. And so I want to restate the main point of the series, which is this, the, that the fuel we need to become the people God intended us to be lies in our relationship with others. And so you're like, Kotz, Kotz, uh, okay, you made your point. Like, so, so what... What is this fuel you're talking about? Because I know I have friends, I, you know, and if they're going to give me this fuel, I want to know what it is. Like, what, what is it? Is it like a pep talk? Like, is that what we're waiting for? Like, or is it, what is it, Cots? And that is what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. <laughs> so this is a series that Lori and Stan came, to, came up with, and they just gave me the intro. So... <laughs> <laughs> So um, for the coming weeks, I encourage you guys to be here because we're going to be talking about these fuels, fuels, is it plural, fuel? (laughs) The fuel that you need in your life that you can only receive from the people around you. And what we're going to do right now, the ushers, ushers, they're going to come around and they're going to pass out these cards. We have one for everybody. We have more than one for everybody. So if you lose it, next week we'll give you more. Um, And if you look on this side, this side there's all these words, but on this side there's four quadrants, Okay. And in these four quadrants, these are the four things that we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. The fifth week is going to be more application. So I want you to hold on to this. I want you to read through this every day through Lent if you want. Whatever you do, okay, you could keep it on your desk or you could leave it on your, your refrigerator. So every time you open the fridge door, you'll see it, right? But this is what we're going to be going through. There, okay, just so you guys know, and Lori told me to point this out, so I'm not outing her. There is one typo. <laughs> and what's the excuse? Yeah, this is what gives it flavor, okay? And so you don't spend the rest of the day trying to figure that out. It's number three at the bottom. Okay, just so you guys know. All right. And there's a few other things that we're going to, we want you to succeed. And we're going to, we set up a few things uh, that will help you succeed. So first thing is that we're going to be, you know, we're going to be going through this series. So come every Sunday, or if you miss us, you catch us online. Right, number two is this, this card, these cards that we have. Number three is that if you come here on a Sunday morning, we will always have a prayer team ready to pray for you if you feel like you need prayer. And they're going to be in the back of the room. Okay? The next thing also is we're going to be sending out questions on Sundays and Wednesdays so that you have some things to think about in terms of what areas do I need to work on and so forth. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up to be part of that mailing list through the app. 
if you look, if you scroll down, you'll find the, the sermon logo, and then you could click on that, and then you could sign up for the emails. So there's several things that we've put in place so that you could succeed in this journey that we're going to be taking together. Because what is Lent season, anyways? Lent season is us preparing our hearts for Easter, okay? 40 days minus, minus the Sunday, so it's actually 46 days or something like that, right? But it's 40 days of pre- preparing your heart. And for some people, they do that by fasting, right? They're like, I'm going to give up something that I'm really, uh, that I rely on, whether if it's food. For some people, they fast from meat. Other people, you fast from social media. Other people, it's like chocolate. I don't know what you guys give up, right? Okay, but Lent is a season where we basically say, I want to prepare my heart for Jesus' resurrection. And I think this is the best way to do it, is by assessing what are the fig leaves in my life? What are the fig leaves that are keeping other people from coming into me, coming into my life, and nurturing me, and making me more of the person God intended me to be? So if that's you, we encourage you guys to sign up for the email list. Uh, make sure you take one of these cards that they passed out, and then if you lose it, come back next week. We'll have another one for you. I think we have like 500 of them. Yeah, take as many as you want. And if you can, and I highly recommend this, receive prayer from our prayer team. And so what we're going to do right now is uh, we're going to close this sermon. We're going to close this in prayer. And as I do that, if you like prayer, as the worship team comes up, uh, go to the back of the room, and the prayer team will meet you there, and we'll take you to a quieter place where you could pray in private. Um, just so you guys know, the prayer team is not here to fix your problems. Okay, so don't think like, oh, I need my, the prayer team to just pray a prayer that's going to fix all my problems. No, they're here so that you can connect with God and hear from him. You know, if God wants to share with you anything that, that might be useful in this journey. Amen? All right, let's pray.